This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Heidman and I am here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey Kelly. Hey Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I am great. We are, uh, we are, this is just full disclosure, our third podcast today, but we're so excited. We love these podcast days. We do love these and I'm pretty excited about getting to talk to Derwin Gray. So Derwin, um, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with y'all. Yeah, we're super excited to talk with you about your books and all the things. And so we like to have our guests introduce themselves. So we're going to have you tell us about yourself and your family and your ministry. Okay, yeah. So I am Vicki's husband. We've been married for 29 years. We've been together 32 years. We actually met in 1990 on January 15th, which was my second semester of my freshman year. Vicki was a junior. We met at Brigham Young University. She was on the track team. I was on a football team. And so we met one day in the weight room and uh, a couple of conversations later, we've been together ever since. We have a daughter that's 25 and a son that is 21. And uh, neither my wife nor I grew up in church. Uh, We came to faith in our mid to late 20s through people at our jobs. And so we're very passionate about everyday people being everyday communicators and proclaimers of who Jesus is, not in a way that you stand up and shout at your desk, but in the way you live and the way you move and the conversations. And so both of us came to faith through friendships. I had a teammate with the Colts. His name was Steve Grant, but literally his nickname was the Naked Preacher because every day after practice, (laughs) he would take a shower, dry off, and wrap a towel around his waist, and hence the naked preacher. My <laughs> wife <laughs> came to faith through a woman at her job named Karen Ponish, who one day over coffee asked her if she was a Christian. And my wife said, well, yeah, I believe in God. And Karen just lovingly and patiently said, well, being a Christian is more than believing in God. It's actually believing that Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't died to death. We should have died on a cross to forgive our sins. And he rose again to live his life through us. And he does this as a free gift motivated by love. And that just got the wheels starting to spin. So at that time, we lived in Indianapolis where I played for the Colts and she worked at Blackburn Health uh, Facility in urban Indianapolis. And then in 1998, I signed a football contract to play for the Carolina Panthers. We moved to Charlotte. And we've been here ever since. And so we are very unlikely ministry partners. So not growing up in the church, the thing that we found really strange about the church was we would ask ourselves, why is the church more racially divided than the nightclubs that we used to party in? Because we would go to nightclubs and party and it was like every nation, tribe and tongue. But then when we go with go to Jesus's club, the church, it was like a black church or a white church or Hispanic church or an Asian church. 
there, there was very few multi-ethnic churches. And so we thought to ourselves, why is this the case? And so we asked a lot of questions and we just got really, really bad answers. One of the blessings of God's grace of not growing up in the church is when you read the Bible, you don't read it through cultural filters of churchianity. Like you have this ridiculous faith that says, okay, so let me get get this right. Jesus died for Jews and Gentiles. Jesus died for everybody. And the early church was made up of Jewish people and non-Jewish people. It was very diverse. So Jesus not only forgave sins, but he created a family with different colored skins. And in this family was love. And love does not tolerate prejudice, racism, or indifference. And I'm like, well, if God did it 2,000 years ago, he certainly can do it now because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just took our little naive faith into Christianity and people looked at us like we had three heads. They were like, what in the <laughs> world are you talking about? And so from that, yeah. it got discouraging. But ultimately, February 7, 2010, uh, we planted a church called Transformation Church. We are an intentionally multi-ethnic, multi-generational church shaped by Jesus's mission. And our passion is to love God, to love ourselves, and to love people. We are unashamedly uh, we believe that we have been marked by the blood and the blood breaks down all types of barriers of sin, including racism. And so 11 years later, uh, we have a church with thousands of people. It's multi-ethnic. It's multi-generational. Uh, we just celebrated over 7,000 people have come into faith over the last 11 years. We've baptized close to 2,000. God has done some amazing things. And the church looks like Revelation 5-9, and God is using us to break down barriers to show that it is possible to reflect the ethnic diversity on earth as it will be in the new heavens and new earth. So that's our ministry. Well, wow. And probably even just, I mean, I'm thinking about your journey just a little bit of just being at Brigham Young. Yeah. I mean, that's where you guys met. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but an interesting culture that must have been, and then going to Indianapolis and then to North Carolina, like those are very different cultures in itself. And, and it really probably impacted a lot of your journey and even just the football aspect. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that, Derwin, like how sports maybe impacted your life and the transition and the calling on your life from, from playing football to, to being a pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So both my wife and I are athletes. And so, like I said, she was on the track team. She, she threw the javelin, which in one way was in, it turned me on incredibly. And then I was like, I was like, (laughs) not only can this woman kill me with a javelin, but she could hold me with her strong arms. This is going to be awesome. (laughs) So uh, um, yeah, you know, for us as athletes, Sports and God's sovereignty and providence shaped us immensely because when you think of sports, and I'll use football as an illustration, uh, to be a successful football team, you have to have discipline, sacrifice, love, commitment, and passion. And all of those things are what make a disciple of Jesus. And some of my coaches were incredible. Like my high school coach was an incredible visionary. Um, we believed we could do anything. 
And as a result, our high school was phenomenal in football. And a lot of what I learned as a young man is what I carry into life now. So Coach Rutledge was a great visionary. As a pastor, you got to be able to have visionary skills. Vision is simply saying, here's what can be. It's not. Let's be the people to bring what is not into the now. And then in college uh, at Brigham Young, uh, my coach was Lavelle Edwards, and he was one of the pioneers and engineers to the modern day passing game that happens in football now. But what I learned from him was delegation and the art of hiring good people and empowering them. And then in the NFL, I had one coach named Dom Capers, who was very detailed. I mean, the man had every second detailed. And then my other NFL head coach, his name was Ted Marcher Broden. We called him grandpa. He was very compassionate, very loving. And so the composite of all these coaches uh, really hate, helped and shaped me to be a pastor. I didn't know it at the, at the time. So that helped me tremendous. And then with my wife as well, she was valedictorian in high school, valedictorian in college, young dietitian of the year. So she's brilliant, incredible leader. And so we attribute a lot of that to how God and his sovereignty, his gracious providence allowed sports to shape two people who were unchurched. And so uh, my third year in the NFL was probably my best year. But then years four, five, and six, I started to experience a lot of injuries. And during the process of being injured, it was like God was waning me from football. It was it was like football was a pacifier and the injuries was taking it out of my mouth. And so by the time my sixth year came, I knew that would be my last year. I was ready to move on. I wasn't for sure what I was going to do, but I knew this. I wanted the world to know Jesus. I wanted the world to love Jesus. And I was going to spend my life trying to make that happen, whether if it was as a coach or whether if it was working in the financial sector, I just didn't know. And I never thought I would be a preacher or pastor because I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. And it makes no sense for a compulsive stutterer to pastor a church and to speak around the world. But what often does not make sense to us makes perfect sense to God because he loves to take our weaknesses and makes them strengths. I love that. Absolutely. Wow. That's awesome. So not only are you a pastor and an athlete, but you're also a prolific writer. And so we're really excited to get to talk to you about all the books, but let's start with your latest, God, Do You Hear Me? What made you decide to write on prayer? Yeah, yeah. You know, before I answer that question, um, if I could just testify for a moment, you you know, um, I didn't even like reading books until I got saved. Um, I'm sure if my English teachers from high school knew that I wrote books, they would just be shocked because it's totally a God thing. Um, I'm the only male in my family for a long time was the only one to graduate high school and go to college. And so it's when God redeemed me, he redeemed every part of me. And so why did I write on prayer? I wrote on prayer because, um, 
it seemed to me that a lot of people had this love-hate relationship with prayers. Like, I know I need to pray, but it seems like my prayers are not answered, and it seems like I'm doing it wrong. And so what I wanted to do was just go back to the heart of prayer. And so, God, mm-hmm. do you hear me? Discovering the prayer that God always answers just goes back to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus, not figuratively, but literally says, when you pray, pray like this. And so he starts with our father. And then he moves into that God is holy. Then he talks about the kingdom coming. Then he talks about Jesus being a bread of life. Then he talks about forgiveness. And then he talks about overcoming evil. And so when you look at the Lord's prayer, number one, it's actually a picture of the life of Jesus. Jesus loved the Father. Jesus was holy. Jesus embodied the kingdom. Jesus was the bread of life. Jesus gives forgiveness on the cross. Jesus defeats evil through his resurrection. So number two, not only is the Lord's prayer about Jesus, but number two, the Lord's prayer is God's will for our lives. Think about it. Mm -hmm. He wants us to pray to know the love of the Father. He wants us to pray to set God's name apart, meaning our allegiance is to him. Number three, he wants us to pray to be conduits of his kingdom. Number four, he wants us to depend on him to provide everything. Number five, he is our forgiveness, which gives us the power to forgive. And number six, he is the power who overcame the darkness of sin, death, and evil. And so I think the reason why we struggle with the Lord's prayer is often, Oftentimes, we want more of what the world says is valuable versus what Jesus says is valuable. Mm-hmm. And so, really and, and so, what I so what I do, and God, do you hear, hear me? Is I break the book down in such a way that when we say our Father, who are we talking about? When we say God is holy, what does that mean? When we say your kingdom come, your will be done, what does that mean? And so every part of the book, I break down the Lord's prayer, and it's really a book on spiritual formation. It's really a book on patience. Um, Let me put it to you this way. Reading this book will dismantle a lot of prayers that's only superstition and will get you to begin to pray in such a way that God answers your prayers. And what you will notice is you will begin to pray prayers like the Bible prays. Typically, our prayers are not like what the Bible prays. And the Lord's Prayer is the inerrant, infallible, perfect Word of God. And so it's a framework. It's like like choreography. Like if you've ever been to a a dance and you see incredible dances with choreography, right? Well, the Lord's prayer is like a choreography so that we could dance to the rhythm of God's grace. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. I, I think, I think when I think about the Lord's prayer, you know, we, we tend to make it just rote. Like we just say it. Right. And we don't really break it down sometimes. And we don't really understand the depth of that. But I love how you just said that really it reflects who Jesus is in the life of Christ too. Um, that's kind of, you know, such a an interesting aspect of thinking of how he offers forgiveness and who God was to him, his father, and how 
he did provide for him that daily bread, um, things like that. That's, yeah. that's really good. Yeah. How do you, how do you, like, when you think about your congregation, Derwin, and you think about helping a congregation praying, maybe even corporately, how do you encourage them like as together as a congregation, both together corporately and privately? What are some ways that you're, you, you do that as a pastor? Well, hopefully the first thing I do is embody it. Um, you know, Sunday morning, our, our, our church services are filled with prayer, but we also encourage people to pray. Um, and one of the main reasons why I wrote the book is that when pe- a lot of people are not actually praying, it's manipulation. Um, so Ooh, yeah. so when, you, when you think of the Lord's Prayer, it starts with our Father. How often do we spend time mm-hmm. just thanking God for being our Father, thanking God for the ways that He is our Father? So the first part of the prayer is very, um, it's adoration. It's not even about us. It's about God. And so one of the pushbacks that I get, even from Christians, is if God knows everything, why should we pray? And I'm going, yeah. you're missing the point of prayer. The prayer is not to get. The prayer is to become like the one you're in relationship with. Mm-hmm. God, God longs to give us more than just stuff. How, how, how do we know? In Matthew 6, 8, and in Matthew 6, 32, Jesus sandwiches the Lord's prayer in between two profound statements that says, your heavenly father already knows what you need. So this is what I want you guys to do. And I want the listeners to do this as well. When they get with people and you begin to pray, just monitor how much is it on meeting needs. In Matthew 6, mm-hmm. 8 and Matthew 6, 32, both say God already knows what you need. So if God already knows what we need, why do we spend so much time asking him for stuff we need? It seems like he wants more than just being a sugar daddy. It actually seems like he wants to be a father who wants to mold and shape his children. And the good thing is our needs are met. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Right. And and so prayer is not about getting prayer is about intimacy in to me. You see. Say that again, Darwin. Yeah. How you use that? Prayer is about intimacy in to me. You see. And so with the Lord's prayer, you see the very heart of God because you see Jesus like the father. Mm -hmm wants to be in a love relationship with you and I the way he was with Jesus. And I just want to say to the audience, if you've got God's love, you got all you need. He will provide not our greeds, but our needs. But then it, 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 it moves to God is holy. What, what does that mean? Holy means to be set apart, right? Like God is utterly unique. God is utterly beautiful because God is holy. God is trustworthy. There's no lying in him. And, and holiness is our devotion to him that false lovers will try to come and seduce us. But because he's our father and he's good to, to us, our eyes are for him only. And then think of the next part of the prayer, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, a great place to start Mm -hmm. is in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those, you know, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of, of God. So what I'm proposing is for us to get more Christianly in our thinking, for us to think more about what it means to follow Jesus, uh, for us to be immersed in the story of God. That kind of leads us well to the next question that we had for you, which is about um, your other book, The Good Life. What are some things that may surprise us about what the Bible has to say about happiness? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and The Good Life was a national bestseller. I mean, it has uh, wow. like 459 five-star reviews on Amazon. Like, it went nuts. And um, That's great. Yeah, I was, I was just so proud of that book. Um, I think what catches people by su surprise is literally The Good Life is written on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are five characteristics of a blessed life. Well, the word blessed in Greek is the word makros, and it literally means happy. So happy are the peacemakers, for they would be called children of God. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of God. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So, God's kind of happiness for us is actually a holy life. Mm -hmm. And that right there is the anecdote to this world that continuously gives us a cheap form of happiness. In my early Christian years, I used to say joy and happiness were not the same thing. But as I've grown, I've learned that that's not true. Joy and happiness mean the exact same thing. It is a state of well-being. It's not necessarily feelings. Um, happiness is about purpose in God's pleasure and in God's kingdom of becoming the person you were created to be. That's what true happiness is. You know, if you want to laugh all the, all, all the time, join a circus and be a clown, right? True happiness, <laughs> true happiness is you wake up and you go, oh, my goodness, today I get to join God and bring in his kingdom to earth. Lord, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today, Lord, in a world where there is so much division, I can be a peacemaker. And Jesus is very clear. He says, happy or blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. If you want to know if someone is a child of the Father, they practice peacemaking. And so yeah. happiness and holiness are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. I kind of feel like your books, like I've, when I think about the Beatitudes and I think about the Lord's Prayer, I mean, that really is kind of this bookend of, you know, you almost need really both, right? You know, you kind of need to understand who, who we are in Christ and then that intimacy that you talked about as we, as we get to know our Heavenly Father. Um, so really, we just we want to encourage our readers, you, you need both books, right? <laughs> you need both of them. Yeah, sure. yeah you, you, you know, what, uh, what I would say is 
what I've tried to do in a good life, and God, do you hear, hear, hear me, is to reacquaint the reader with Jesus. And two of the most important things Jesus said was the Beatitudes and how to pray. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, and I say this with humility, and please hear my pastor's heart. I think a lot of times we go to things and we read books to get something from God instead of just God himself. And so mm-hmm. with both of these books, um, the imagery that I see is oftentimes, let's, let's, let's say we go to our grandparents' home for Christmas dinner. Everybody's around the table. Grandma and grandpa are at the top. Everybody's talking. The cousins are there, uncles, brothers. Everybody's there. Food is being passed around. And the grandparents are smiling. Everybody's talking to each other. Food's being passed. Dessert comes. And then they get up from the table and they look at grandma and grandpa and say, okay, we'll see you uh, for New Year's. And uh, what are we going to have to eat then? Thanks a lot. Bye. What makes Mm -hmm. Christmas dinner, what makes Thanksgiving dinner special, it's more than food. It's the people around the table. Ideally, the grandparents who brought it all into being. Well, Well, God is the parent who says, when you come to dinner, yes, let's eat good food, but I want to hear your heart. I want you to hear my hopes and my aspirations and my dreams for you. I've created you by love, for love, by purpose, for purpose. And if you simply just sit here and eat the food, but don't tap into my heart, you're missing it. Mm. Yeah. I think that really does speak to the character of God and what you, you've probably learned as you've, you know, written these books and stuff. Okay, be, because this episode is coming out in January, um, and as it's you know kind of still the new year, what are some things that you're looking forward to in 2022? What are some of the things that God is maybe teaching you about Himself this year? <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. You know, so because I'm an athlete, it's not so much well. I'm a former athlete. I still think I am, but not as much. Um, so, <laughs> Once an athlete, always right. an athlete. So, <laughs> you know, so 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 as an athlete, and specifically as a professional football player, it's about consistency, right? It's a, it's about doing the little things right over a long period of time. And so, going into 2022, it's not like okay, this is the new stuff. So, more for me in this year. Uh, number one, what I'm recognizing is as a pastor, there's only certain things that I can do at Transformation Church that I'm looking forward to walking boldly and humbly in and watching God work. That's number one. Number two, um, I want to look for more ways in how to love my wife well. So my wife is a leader here at Transformation Church. She teaches, she leads our spiritual formation and our staff health. And so I just, I just, I just want to love her well. I, I want to continue to explore and get to know her even more so, even though we've been together for 32 years. Um, and, and then, and then thirdly, um, I want to, even walk in my calling as a pastor, like I know who I am. And what I mean by that is um, Derwin Gray, you're going to get a lot of Jesus, 
You're going to get a lot of gospel. You're going to get a lot of Christ in you. You're going to get a lot of, hey, God calls us not just to love him vertically, but horizontally to break down walls of racism, injustice. And I'm a challenger with the gospel to continue to walk in that and be okay with who God's called me to be. Sure. Those are great goals (laughs) and things Mm -hmm. to look forward to for sure. I think we can all kind of adapt those to our own lives in some ways for sure. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about what God does through Transformation Church in this year and in the future for sure. Thank you. Well, this is the March podcast. And so one thing that we always ask everyone, and we would love to hear your answer to is, what is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ? Mm-hmm. I would say the one thing that has marked me with my walk with Christ is the beauty of grace. Mm-hmm. That the idea that God in all of his splendor all of his beauty, all of his moral perfection would want me. That just, that just, that just blows me away that, that everything that I've ever done or will ever do, he sent Jesus to be and do everything I could not. That for 33 years, Jesus lived perfect life of obedience to the Ten Commandments, pleasing the Father because I could not. That Jesus on the cross took my place, was displaced, shame to give me grace and forgiveness and righteousness. And he rose again to literally live inside of me and make me a part of his family, the body of Christ. Um, Grace just blows me away. And it reminds me of the, I think it's the second Chronicles of Narnia. I can't remember the the title of it, but Lucy, the little girl, saw Aslan again, and she said, "Aslan, you've gotten bigger." And he says, "No, Lucy, you've gotten bigger, and the more you grow, the bigger I seem." Mm-hmm. And oh my God, the more I go, grow in His grace the bigger and more beautiful Jesus is. I I just want Jesus. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I feel like this episode, that if our listeners want someone to hear the gospel, they could just point them to this episode and hear you talk about just what Christ has done for us and yeah. just the love that he has for us. So I, I thank you for that. I thank you for sharing that and just being... Um, really just so plain with the gospel. And right. I think that's really important for us as listeners and for us to be reminded of the grace that God gives us. And um, so definitely we want our listeners to just check out your books, the new one, God, Do You Hear Me? Then also The Good Life. And Derwin, um, also as someone who, um, as we are looking forward to 2022, I want our listeners to know that you're actually going to be at our Women's Leadership Forum in November. It may seem like a long way off, but uh, we're super excited that you're going to be part of that event and excited for our 
for our leaders to hear from you. You've done a lot for leaders. And so thank you for that. Well, thank you. I am so looking forward to it. And I just appreciate the gospel partnership that I have with with y'all. You guys are doing incredible kingdom work and it's an honor to participate in it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for joining us again this week. And thanks to Derwin. And we do want, we'll have um, the links to his books in our show notes. So check those out. And we will look forward to having you back next week. Bye now. Bye. If you enjoyed this conversation with Derwin, you are going to want to pick up his book, God, Do You Hear Me? Prayer can be challenging and confusing. Often we feel abandoned, betrayed, and anxious. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know the words to say. And sometimes it just feels like there's no one on the other side. But through the pages of God Do You Hear Me, pastor and best-selling author Derwin Gray will journey with you in learning and living the prayer that God always answers. You can find it at LifeWay.com. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.